Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Summer in the Gospels. This summer, we're spending our Sunday mornings in the Gospels, which are the first four books in the New Testament. In each passage, Jesus teaches an important lesson about what it means to follow Him. When we read these scriptures, it will help us learn more about Jesus and how to help us follow Him. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We're excited that you're here today. We're starting a new series called This Is My Story. And look, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story. Because everyone who has come to know Jesus has a personal story of what that was like, and every single story is important. And it doesn't matter whether your story is dramatic with ups and downs and twists and turns, or if it's very simple and straightforward. Each story is significant because it represents how you came to know Jesus. And you know what? Here's something important. Nobody can argue with your story. You're an expert on it. You know how you met Jesus and and the change he brought to your life. So this morning, uh, we've asked uh, one of our Valley Brookers if she would share her story. So if you would, turn your attention to the screen behind me. Hi, my name is Becca Smith, and this is my story. So I was born in Connecticut and I was raised in Granby with my two older brothers whom I love, good friends with to this day. And my parents, you may know, my dad, Bob Smith, currently serves on our elder board and my mom um, has taught Sunday school here for years, Lori. Um, My home growing up was filled with warmth and love and happy memories and Honestly, I'm really, really grateful for that. I'm grateful for them, for my parents. Um, But some of my earliest memories specifically include going to church on Sunday with my families. Um, But not only just going to church, it was being in the building and sharing meals there. And I had friends there and we'd run around outside. And um, a lot of our, our big part of our community outside of church were families we knew from church and good friends of my parents. And so... I had a really good example of what it meant to be a follower of Christ from my parents. And that's not to say that we always did it right or that it was perfect, but I didn't doubt their faith. And so I was confident later in life when I was exploring my own um, because of that. And so if you're a parent, I just want to encourage you that the journey that you're on with God and the example that you're setting for your kids day in and day out um, impacts them. It absolutely did for me. Um, So several years later, I, like a true youngest sibling, I followed my brothers to sleepaway camp and it was so much fun. It was um, just, you know, time outside and worship and games and friends and Um, I had so much fun and I would say it was the first time in my life where I had an example of what it would look like for a kid to have faith in Jesus and so I was surrounded by people my age engaging with God in a really 
very real and powerful way. And I just remember being wide-eyed and just watching everyone and being like, oh yeah, and participating and just being like, I want that. I, I understand it, I see it, I'm ready for it. And so ultimately when I was 10, I made the decision to accept God into my heart and, and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And it wasn't a crazy moment. It was honest and it was heartfelt. Um, it just clicked for me. And I remember talking to my counselor at the time and she invited me to speak at the end of the camp closing ceremony and get on stage and in front of everybody and <laughs> share my decision with everyone. And for a kind of shy, introverted kid, that was pretty much the biggest leap of faith that you could ask me to do. Um, but I said yes, and I remember being petrified on the side of the stage, and but, but knowing it was important and wanting to do it. And so I stood up and I immediately looked for my parents because they're the ones who I wanted to tell. Um, so I shared that with everybody and I did it. And it was, it's a special memory for me. Um, moving forward, um, I haven't really ever wavered in that original faith, um, but it honestly wasn't tested very much when I was young. It was just nurtured. Um, by my parents, by my time at church, by my close friends. Um, I didn't really have any big life decisions to make or really any decisions at all that had any impact. So it wasn't, I didn't really need to exercise it. Um, but it was later when I hit middle school and high school where my identity as a believer um, came full circle for me and became very real for me. And I remember, <laughs> inviting a friend of mine to church with me one time and she wasn't a believer and we sit through the whole service I think we went to Sunday school and we got back back down there and I turned to her and I was like so much fun right like we had a great morning and she she looked at me and she was like you know this is good and I'm happy for you but I don't believe in Jesus and I had a moment where uh, of clarity realizing like, oh, my life is going to look different than hers because of this, like forever. And um, it was then when I had to, or around then, when I had to start using my faith muscle and I began to learn what it meant to prioritize God in different aspects of my life. Um, really just meaning who I spent my time with, what I wanted to do with my life, um, where I wanted to go to college, um, all of those kind of big life moments, I, you know, are going to be from the perspective of being a believer now. And so I would say it was then when my faith became more intentional and, and my relationship with God became more intentional and the roots of that original decision kind of sunk deeper into the soil. Um, so fast forward to me post-college, um, just figuring things out. And I had been applying to jobs everywhere. Honestly, a lot of jobs that weren't in Connecticut. I didn't think I, was supposed to be here and I felt a whisper from God to stay put and simultaneously several jobs opened up here at Valleybrook and I found myself applying to all of them and I did end up accepting a full-time position here at Valleybrook in the late summer of 2016 and so I have experience the joy and the sometimes pain of working in full-time vocational ministry um, and really I wouldn't have ever guessed 
that I would end up here in this moment. Um, I think it looks obvious from the outside, but it didn't, it didn't click for me. And I think in college when I was um, just discussing with my friends, like where, where we wanted to end up, what we wanted to do, being on church staff was never an option for me. I think I adamantly said I didn't want to be <laughs> working for a church, um, but God has had other plans. And at the end of the day, it's another reminder of his hand in my life and kind of exemplifies to me later from the outside how, um, like many other relationships, it requires active commitment and, and intention every single day. I had to, um, in those moments of staying here and in those moments of saying yes to a job, I had to trust him. And so I didn't know what I was doing. But, and, and honestly, I still don't. I, there are variables in my life that as a naturally anxious person drive me crazy, but I bring myself back to being 10 and being honest with myself about how much God means to me and reminding myself that he is the one I can rely on. He is the one who carries me. He is why I am the way that I am. Um, so thinking back on my story, it isn't a spectacular story. It's not crazy, but, and that's not to say that there weren't hard moments or relationships or difficulties that rocked me because there absolutely were. Um, but me coming to Jesus and choosing him will always be spectacular to him. It's important to him. Um, and so it, it just felt organic and slow moving at times, but God has a way of showing up in quiet moments and reminding me why my faith matters and why it's crucial for me to wake up every day and keep choosing him. Um, my decision to follow Jesus shows up, I hope, when I treat people with kindness and respect or, or when, I, eh, when I'm making a decision and I have to, or I do approach God before I approach anyone else, or when I mess up and I need to ask for forgiveness, or when I'm anxious and I need His peace. Um, I don't think there was a big difference in me that week before I went to camp and the week after. Um, but I know that my life would look different, very different today if that week didn't happen or if I didn't have all of those small moments where one, a relationship with God was, was set as an example for me, but also um, where I could wake up in every moment and continu continually dedicate my life to to Jesus. And it becomes clear to me as an adult how very different of a trajectory my life could have taken had um, I not chosen him. And I'm so grateful for that. And that is my story of why I decided to follow Jesus. So what's your story? You know, how did you come to faith in Jesus? You know, we just heard Becca's story of how she came to faith in Jesus. And this morning, I want us to hear from another woman who came to faith in Jesus. So we can read about her in the Bible. And uh, we find her in her story in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of John. And 
I'm sort of going to tell it this morning and read it, and along the way, give some commentary about it. Now, you, you know, one of the things that we have to recognize is that when we read stories in the gospel, these are how God inspired the four gospel writers to write down what they experienced and remembered. And, and so, uh, the whole story is not there. It's not like there was a, a video camera recording it all, and they got to write it all down, or somebody was transcribing it. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things I've honestly felt found most helpful in the past couple of years is, you, you probably have heard of it, the, uh, the series called The Chosen. And in fact, uh, I'm going to give you some fun homework. So uh, my, my piece of fun homework would be this. Uh, later on today, just take out your phone and don't do it now. Uh, take out your phone and Google The Chosen Woman at the Well. The Chosen Woman at the Well. And you'll get, it's about an eight-minute clip and if you're like me, you will not have a dry eye after you watch it. Now, here's the deal. You know, it is a, a dramatic portrayal of what that story may have looked like in real life. And it's powerful. But we're going to look at it from Scripture today. And, and so a little background information that you need to know. So when, when you read this event in the life of Jesus, you see that he was traveling north. He was in the region of Judea where the city of Jerusalem was. He was headed to Galilee where Nazareth was and Capernaum and some other things. And he was headed that way. And to get there, you had to go through the region of Samaria. Now, that's an important thing for us to know because the region of Samaria was inhabited by a group of people who were called Samaritans, okay? And uh, Samaritans and Jews had a long history of animosity toward one another. Uh, though both groups of people were descendants from the 12 tribes of Israel, the people who became known as the Samaritans had both Jewish and Gentile bloodlines. Why do they have Jewish and Gentile bloodlines? Because in the history of uh, the nation of Israel and the two kingdoms that were there, they intermarried with non-Jews or Gentiles as they are called. So uh, these two groups had racial prejudice toward one another. And, and one thought their way was the right way, and the other one thought their way was the right way, and they were always criticizing each other or worse. And so they had lived through centuries of acts and words of hatred toward one another. So in Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans did whatever it took to avoid one another. So I'm going to go to John chapter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 3. Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Here's an important note. It was about noon. We'll come back to that in a minute. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, here we have to understand that Jesus was breaking Jewish social barriers when he decided to travel through Samaria. And he was breaking another one when he decided to speak to the Samaritan woman because Jews and Samaritans didn't talk to one another. And he was breaking a third Jewish social norm by speaking to a woman without her husband present. And then 
to top that off. Shockingly, he asked her for a drink of water. Now, you need to understand that in that culture in that day, Jewish people would not even drink from the same containers that Samaritan Jews because the common assumption was that Samaritans were ritually unclean. And if you drank from something that was a Samaritan's, you would become ritually unclean. And you had to go through all kinds of purification rites so that you could be made clean again. Now, Remember that animosity between Jews and Samaritans? That's going to explain the rudeness with which this woman responds to Jesus. And so this is what we read. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You know, she had been told all her life that Jewish people hated her. So she should avoid them. And probably she hated them back. And that explains her rudeness. But Jesus moves into the conversation with her. So let's just listen to what goes on. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and who drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me that water so I won't get thirsty and and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus takes the conversation in a whole new direction, saying this, go call your husband and come back. Now, her response is rather curt. She says, I have no husband. Now, because Jesus is God, he's all-knowing, and in response to her statement, this is what he says. You are right when you say that you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. Now, at this, we can probably read the next statement was spoken with a great defensive attitude in her voice. <laughs> Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. So a little bit of commentary. In first century culture, this woman would have been ostracized by the community. They would have judged her for being married more than once and for now cohabitating with a man. And that explains probably why she went to gather water at noon in the heat of the day. You see, in the first century world, women were responsible for taking care of all things in a home, and one of those responsibilities included going to the town well to gather water for the household for the day because there was no indoor plumbing. And practically speaking, in this village, they, the women would have gathered the water in the cool of the morning to avoid the, the heat and the sun in midday. But because... More than likely, she was treated as an outcast. Rather than face the daytime, or rather than face the treatment of ostracization by the other women, she chose to face the daytime heat instead of the harsh attitudes and the words of judgment. 
that she would have encountered if she gathered water at the well in the cool of the morning where all the other women would have been also. But you can tell this woman is strong. And it would appear that she pushed through the emotions that were welling up in her regarding this conversation about her marital history, and and she changed the topics. She said to Jesus, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. This is how Jesus replied. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. This is what Jesus was saying. He says, if you want to come to God, it doesn't matter where you worship or what your ethnicity is or your history is or or even who you are. Pastor Eugene Peterson interprets this passage this way. Jesus says, that's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer Spirit, those who worship him must do it out of their being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. You see, Jesus' response encourages her. So she says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. In response to this, I I can see a, a huge smile breaking across Jesus' face because he says, I am the Messiah. I think we have to pause here just to to take for a moment that, that she's putting together everything that's transpired in those past few minutes in in that conversation. And she realizes that. This Jewish man knows everything about her life that he in no way possible could know. And that he's talked about living water that will give you eternal life. And and now he said he is the Messiah. And she's touched. And she believes that, that this is him. Now she has a story a story to tell of meeting Jesus, the Messiah. And the the passage tells us she doesn't waste any time. It says she actually leaves her water jar and she goes back to the village and she says, come and see a man who knew all the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think he could be the Messiah? And as she told that story, something happens in that village. People respond to her story and they come out to see Jesus for themselves. And the Bible tells us that many of these Samaritans believed in Jesus because she shared her story with them. So I want you to think about something. 
This woman lived in a village where more than likely everybody knew everybody and everybody had a relationship with everybody, regardless if it was a good relationship or a bad relationship. They knew all about her. That's why she was ostracized. That's why she came to the well at noon. She was an outcast in her village. She'd been married five times. She was living with a man. All of those things were something that the Old Testament would speak against. And the, and the Samaritans embraced the Old Testament. And because they knew her story, when she came and said, a Jewish man, not a Samaritan man, somebody from outside of the community, a Jewish man had told her everything about her life, that he knew her life inside and out, that caught their attention because that, how could that be unless something miraculous was going on? And so she went to them and they listened to her story. And because she took the risk to tell her story, people came to faith in Christ. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, that means you've come to believe in him, and that means you have a story. It may be a simple story. Becca said hers was simple. It may be a dramatic story, but your story is important, and people need to know your story. Most importantly, the people who know you and have a relationship with you, and, and they need to know your story. So as she said to the people in her village, come and see. Well, you need to share your story so people can come and see and believe in Jesus too. I'm going to tell you something about all of our stories. All of our stories are a story of new life, our new life. The Bible tells us that when we decide to believe in and follow Jesus, that we actually become a new person. In fact, specifically we read this in the letter to the Corinthians. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We become a new person because we've asked God to forgive us and our sins have been forgiven. And we've asked Jesus to be the leader, the Lord, the leader of our lives and so we've started to follow him and become part of his mission to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So we are new people with a new leader and with a new mission. Now you heard Becca's story when she realized that she was a new person, a different person because she was following Jesus. When the Samaritan woman encountered Jesus at the well, she experienced the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of God through Jesus, and she became a new person. Now, I know some of you are probably saying, wait a minute, Clark, it didn't say love and acceptance and forgiveness in the passage. Well, again, we have to remind ourselves, John didn't have a tape recorder when he was watching this transpire. And when he heard what Jesus told him after they came back, because the story tells us the disciples weren't there. He didn't have a tape recorder. There's no transcript. So he's given us the highlights. He's telling us what's most important. But it's clear from what Jesus said to this woman and her response to this woman that she was changed. And it was also clear 
to the people in the village. She was the woman who was ostracized, who wouldn't interact with them. And she goes back to them and says, come and see. Come with me. Come and see. I have met somebody who knows all about me. Could he be the Messiah? She shared her story. They came to see, and they believed too. When you truly believe in Jesus, he will change you. He will send his Holy Spirit into our lives, and we will follow Jesus and his direction for our lives. But we can say we believe in Jesus and his direction for our lives without anything changing. You see, we can give lip service without actually living for Jesus. We can do a lot of things and say a lot of things that make us sound like we're Jesus followers, but if we haven't allowed him to be the leader of our lives and let him change us, we're just going through the motions. We're we're faking it. And you know what? People will eventually see through that because if you're following Jesus, he's going to change your values. He's going to change how you live your life. He's going to guide you and direct you through the power of the Spirit of God. But if we have believed and if we are following Jesus, he will change us. He gives us a new life and people will take notice. Now, that's important because we need to realize that our story can have an impact on others. When we come to faith in Jesus, as I've said all along this morning, we have a story. That story includes what our lives were like before we believed, how we came to believe, and what our life is like now as we believe in and follow Jesus. Every story is important because every one of us is important to Jesus. And every one of our stories is unique. It will have its own ups and downs and twists and turns. And we need to know this. There's not a right or a wrong way to come to faith in Jesus and start following him. God uses all things for his purpose. And there's something important here for us to embrace. I said it earlier. I'll say it again. Nobody can argue with or disagree with your story. Why? Because it's your story. You're the expert on what God has done in your life. And remember, your story can impact someone else's life and their eternity. It's so important to understand. The Bible tells us this. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If somebody asks about your hope and why you're a believer, always be ready to explain it. That explanation of the hope that you have is your story of how you came to believe in Jesus. Hopefully, when you go into our cafe on Sunday mornings, you've seen the the corner where the nice comfy couch is, and and you've seen the wall with the letters B-L-E-S-S, bless. Hopefully, you've taken time to read it over this year. Earlier this year, we, we, we preached a series on that whole 
BLESS acronym because each one of those letters stands for something that you and I as followers of Jesus need to not just know, but actually keep in mind because it will guide us in how we tell our story. Because the reality is this, the Bible tells us that we've been blessed by God to be a blessing for others. And so how can we bless one another? I'm just going to remind you, so stick with me even if this is a refresher. The be in bless reminds us that we need to begin with prayer every day and say, God, who do you want me to bless today? Who do you want me to bless? It could be uh, somebody who's already a follower of Christ. It might be your neighbor who's not a follower. It might be somebody you work with or attend class with. Who do you want me to bless today, God? And then whatever you sense him guiding, whoever you sense him guiding you to bless, do it. The L in the acronym BLESS stands for listen. You know, it's important that we listen. I think in uh, today's day and age, we're oftentimes not good listeners because we want to hear ourselves speak. So this just reminds us to be quiet and listen. The E, look, we can all do this. The E stands for eat, all right? Very simple. You know, I, you know, have you ever noticed that when you have a meal with somebody, everybody just sort of relaxes and you tell stories and you, you get comfortable with one another? It's just going a little deeper in the relationship. The S stands for serve. So if you know somebody's got something on and they could use a helping hand, volunteer to do it. Or maybe just send them a note, tell them you're thinking about and praying for them. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe you grow flowers in the yard, pick some flowers and give them give a gift or remind them of of their birthday. A couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my friends in the neighborhood, he's a, he's a hiker, and he just finished hiking all 48, 4,000 peaks in New Hampshire or not. I know he loves diet Mountain Dew, so I took him a six-pack of Mountain Dew just to celebrate with him. When I would hike with him, that would be his reward at the end of the hike. He would have a diet Mountain Dew, so I just wanted to celebrate with him. The last S in the BLESS acronym is share your story. Share your story. But you can't share your story unless you thought about your story, unless you know your story. So I want to give you a challenge. Before today is over, I, I want to give you this challenge. Sit down and write out your story of, of what your life was like before you believed in Jesus, how you were introduced to him and, and came to decide to believe in him, and how your life has changed now that you're following him. Hey, you know, it, it may not be dramatic, but that doesn't matter. It's your story. And you know what? The people who know you before and after saw the difference. They saw the change. And here's the next thing. After you write that story down, I would love to hear it. Would you email it to me? Just send it to connect at valleybrook.cc. If you want to, you can actually go to our website and you can click on that and under the what's next tab, you'll find a link to share your story. So you can go right in there and type it in and send it in. You know, I, I, I'm looking forward to reading your stories. Now, you're probably saying, well, Clark, I, I don't want to do that. You may ask me to share it. I may. All right. I may. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear some people share their story. I asked them to, and they said yes. We shouldn't be afraid of that because 
Jesus has changed our lives, and people need to know about it. So here's the big picture. If you believe in and follow Jesus, you have a story, and it's an important story about what God has done in your life. You shouldn't hide it from others. You should share it with others. You need to let people know the story of how you've been given new life. So write it down. Familiarize yourself with it so that when somebody asks or when you sense as you've worked through the BLESS acronym that it's time to share your story so you can do it. Write it down. Share it with somebody. And yeah, I would love to read it. Send it to me. So uh, big picture as I bring this message to a close. You know, the reality is this. Uh, you know, some of you may be listening to this day and say, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm not a follower of Jesus. If you haven't decided to be a follower of Jesus, you can become a follower of Jesus. And, and very simply, this is what you need to know. Jesus died so that you could know that God loves you and so that your sins could be forgiven. And if you want to have that promise of eternal life, but, but know that God has a full life for him, you need to accept what he's done in Jesus. Accept his forgiveness. Invite him to come into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. And so as we close this message, I'm going to invite those of you who have never told Jesus you believe in him and want to follow him to, to pray a very simple prayer silently wherever you are in this room or online. And if you do pray that prayer, please let me know because we have some material that we can email you so that you can take some steps to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And then I'm going to close our prayer time praying for each one of us that we would embrace the BLESS acronym and ask God who we can bless and share our story with. So if you would, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. And Lord, I recognize that there may be somebody here today who's never told you they believe in you and want to follow your son, Jesus. So if that's you, just simply pray these words silently back to God. God, I know I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. And I want to trust him today as my savior and follow him as my Lord. So guide me, I pray. And we say amen to that. And Lord, I pray for each one of us. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us a burning desire to get familiar with the story of how we came to faith in you and, and to do whatever it takes to go deeper in our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us recognize that there are people in our lives that need to hear that story of how you have come in and changed us and given us hope and eternity. So Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would lean into that, that we wouldn't shrink away from it, that we would ask you every day, who do you want us to bless? And then seek your guidance for that opportunity to share our story. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.